Hey everyone, welcome back to the 1980 podcast. This is season two, and I'm really excited to kick off another amazing season. After the first season, we talked to amazing change makers, visual artists, visual communicators. Those are my people. And I wanted to get into season two and really tackle head on an issue that's been affecting me quite a bit in 2020, which is race in America. It's a path that I don't really know how I feel, why I feel. And so this journey is really about me talking to other people that are different from me and trying to understand why racism exists in America and how we start to heal and how we start to grow as a country and as a world. And so today I'm talking to Dietrich Franklin. He's a guy I met on LinkedIn and eventually we connected and we had an amazing conversation. And this is a raw recording. When you get in there, you'll notice that there are moments where I really got schooled by this guy. And I kept it in. It was tough. And those are the types of conversations we need to be having because they're uncomfortable. And I'm going to screw up and make mistakes. But we're going to learn along the way. So let's get into it. I think people didn't realize they took for granted the amount of socialization that you get from being able to go to the movies, whether you take a date, not, you know, the socialization you get from the people that you don't know that you are interacting with being human, doing human activities. So I think that once everything started getting shut down, people had a lot of time to start being with themselves and what's going on in their family unit. They can no longer escape. And then it's like, you can't do anything. I don't know, from people spending time with themselves, just dealing with what's really going on that they've been running from. And this year particularly has really kind of exposed everybody's true self, their vulnerabilities, and just the ideals that they embrace is not going to never be the same. It's, it's never. It's changed. Everybody woke up in the same nightmare in 2020. I, I think that when people can start interacting better, but before they was able to hide maybe some of their bad manners or bad ways. And now, since the, the regular socialization is so limited, when you do interact with somebody, it can really be extreme. Because I've seen some things, like an example was the guy, the video of the guy, he was like a tech CEO, and he was at the restaurant, and it was a oh. Asian family on a birthday. I'm sorry, you need to leave. Yeah, you yeah. need to leave. That is not appropriate. Trump's going to you. You need to leave now. You need to leave. Oh, you, need, you, you do leave. not talk no, to like that. What's wrong? You, you need to leave. leave. Asian piece of you, Oh my. So that was a little hard to listen to and quite a bit of bleeped out, but that's kind of the norm if you're a person of color in this country. Those microaggressions became straight up aggressions to people's faces. And I think, you know, if you know anyone that's a person of color, black, ask them. I'm sure there are stories that go on beyond and on and on. It's just the norm, unfortunately. But now with video and now with the recordings, we're getting this online and people are seeing it. Is this a good thing? Is it is it good to bring it out in the light or is this just destructive for us? Good question. I really think it's good. I think that it's better to just get it out and deal with it. Then to because it, it makes it harder 
for somebody to say, oh, well, systemic racism is not a, a problem in this sector or this sector or just period. You know, instead of trying to say what's well, a problem with the police or it's a problem in the military or it's a problem in tech or a Fortune 500, why don't we just it, let's just talk truth? It's a problem. So the fact that people are now really and I, I'm just, you know, assuming that a lot of the polarization is taking place is also has to do with the upcoming elections. So it's almost like it's a line in the sand drawn and people picking sides. You're either racist or you're not. You're either Confederate or pro-Trump or you're Democrat and, you know, this wing, that wing. But, you know, at the end of the day, we got to deal with it. And the sooner we get through with it, the better, you know, the sooner that more people decide that, you know what, the the video that I seen of George Floyd was beyond disturbing. This is just totally unacceptable. George Floyd was uh, extremely hard for me because there was the other cop who was Asian. I can't remember what ethnicity yeah. he was, but he was the he was just complicit, right? Just standing there watching. Yeah. And I'm that guy. You know what I mean? Like I, I see myself. I, I, I probably that guy standing right there, and I'm I'm doing nothing. And it just and then I'm looking at myself professionally. You know, I'm sitting there and I'm also complicit in this, this stage. And so what is my role in George Floyd? Am I equally just as bad as that guy who put his knee on him? And this has been just a, a year of reckoning because also at the same time, I also experienced racism in my own form, right? As as yeah. an Asian, I walk around, people are like, you're the coronavirus, right? Uh -huh. Go back to China. Yeah, you, you get that microaggressions on a daily basis constantly. <laughs> I can't go to the grocery store without, you know, people looking at you, like giving you that weird look. Yet... I'm, I mean, I'm trying to kind of figure out, you know, where do I fall within the spectrum? I'm not black. You know, I, I'm, I don't feel my life is not threatened on a daily basis. I feel like I can walk out the door and I'm not going to get shot. And so I don't have that. But yet again, and I said, this year for me, I went, it's like, you're my brother. You know, you are my brother. You are another human being. And if yeah. I don't care for you, it's as if we as society just, we don't care for anything. And so that's, for me, that was my journey with Black Lives Matter. Cause I think I was that guy that just, I didn't get it, right? And I was like, and when I finally met people like you and became friends and really understand them, I'm tearing up a little bit because I, I really started to understand the black experience because for me, those microaggressions, they're not life threatening. They're painful and they're hurtful, but I don't feel that my life is threatened on a daily basis. And I can't imagine having that on your weight in the middle of this pandemic. And so yet, I also work with wealthy, high-end, you know, white groups, and they're oblivious to all this stuff. Because as close right. as I am to this issue, there's an entire bubble out there that just is extremely oblivious to what's going on. And I feel like, I, and I have a, a five-year-old son downstairs, and I don't want him to come into this world. I feel like we are just, he deserves better. And I hope that by meeting and talking to people like you and by having these conversations are tough that we can start moving that needle forward because I think we all deserve better. Yeah. This is not good enough. I would agree. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's interesting. As you, you said, you know, was the kind of disconnect there is like, you know, I guess if you don't experience it, then sometimes it's kind of hard to relate. It's like, you know, each one, teach one, reach back, grab somebody up. Well, that's kind of where we at with the diversity thing and a racial thing. You know what I'm saying? So if I got mm -hmm. an understanding, then the least I can do is, is is reach my hand out and grab somebody's hand that don't understand and pull them to the same point of mutual understanding that I'm at so that, you know, let's move forward. So we got to do it in baby steps, mm -hmm. you know, 
And I, I think sometimes what happens, you know, particularly from the side of the people that feel victimized and oppressed and, you know, the center of the negativity or the racism, you know, you get sometimes caught up in what's happening to you because it, it happens so much. When you walk out the house, it's happening. You know, when you go to the store, when you go to the gas station, if the police get behind you, if when you go out to shop, you know, spending money, maybe you don't look like to the person that's working there that you could even afford was in here. Just, you know, like the microaggressions If any time that you fit into the stereotype, you know, you don't you, you don't necessarily know what you're walking in into. You don't know what the person's stereotype is that you're walking into in any given situation. And then from there, is this their opportunity, you know, to be super whatever it is that their stereotype ideology puts them in the character of, or is this opportunity for them to act human? And that's what I just kind of like to do is change the lens or the perspective so you can see it differently. Everybody's entitled to whatever it is that they got a prejudice against. Your stereotypes is really kind of bad for business when you go out publicly and you share and voice your stereotypes with society because it's a bad look, especially if somebody records it. If, you know, I can have the common decency and compassion to see when something that is happening to you is not right. And, you know, if I'm a better person than that, than just a base individual, maybe I could do something to help improve that or help fix the problem or help, you know? And, you know, that's kind of what I'm what I'm here for, I mean, it's like I said, a, a lot of times by the time the conversation is had, it's already a tough topic and stuff is usually heated by the time the conversation is even had. You know, it'd be great to have the conversation about race and diversity and inclusion and all that in a very calm, fun exchange, you know, but it's documented as something that you cannot change. If you have had a television or a ever on watch the tv or on the cell phone to say that you don't see race or color or you don't believe racism is a problem or anything like that you know because is there's just this country was really built on racism so that's the, the 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 sad part about the white supremacy system here in the united states is that's what the country was built on and to dismantle that you know is is going to be ch- challenging because it impacts everybody and the people that is the most resistant to it are the people with the most to lose you know the people you know is is, one of my philosophies is this is that you don't lose power when you empower someone you know and that's Mm -hmm. really what's going on now is it's just about empowerment can we empower you know everybody that loves profits loves capitalism so but is there really a way to save capitalism and get rid of white supremacy system. You know, is, is that possible? Are they so intertwined that we can't separate the two? And that's what the last holdout is, is look, if you get rid of my white supremacy, then you're getting rid of my capitalism. You know, I, I, I personally think that, you know, it's, it's an outdated operating system that needs to be replaced. And the time is now and the people are saying, hey, we, we want something different. Deep and deep. And for the Black experience, we're talking about centuries of Right. This experience. It's carrying multi-generational. Yeah. So on top of whatever already in your 
DNA, whatever experiences is being passed down by DNA that's in your bloodline on top, then you add that with the experiences that you actually go through. And so, you know, you you ask yourself, am I going to focus on what's happening to me or am I going to find a way that I can pick my battles and then focus on what it is that I want for myself and manifest that? you know, without getting caught up because it'll get you caught up. It's like a distraction to keep you from really focusing. There's so much going on. And then on top of that, you got to worry about if you get stopped, if you're going to get harassed, if you're going to get, you know, shot, are you going to go home behind a police encounter? You should not have to weigh that. And then, you know, it just seems like that if nobody really wants to deal in truth, when you get to talking about the truth, then they say the truth will set you free. But a lot of times I've seen in history, the truth get people killed, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because the truth (laughs) is stopping somebody's money. It's money. It's profit to be made in all this confusion and conflict. Somebody's profiting from it. I did this uh, recording over two weeks and it was before and after the election. And in fact, the second recording was the day of the election. And for many people, I think this was an incredibly stressful moment because it was a representation on what the future holds. But at the end of the day, I think it just didn't matter because either way, half of America voted to continue racism. And so now I'm talking to Dietrich and I'm asking him how he felt today. We are, what is today? Today is November 4th. This is the day after a big election day and we're still in right. limbo. Right. Just for the history books, how are you feeling right now? You know, I let the anxiety go. I cast my vote. I actually did, me and my wife did uh, mail-in ballots and I actually dropped them off at the voter registration office. And I mean, I did my part. So as far as the rest of it is, I only got one vote. So it was out of my hands. Who was the president? But I I look at it like this, whether it's Trump or Biden, the country is about to move forward. So whoever the head of leadership is, all all that does is determine what is the largest hand of resistance that they face. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of like time. It, It don't matter what's going on. Time don't stop. You know, so I, I, I found know. that, you know, when, when we talked last week, I found I really enjoyed and I appreciate your your attitude in life just in general right? or your mindset. And let's call it mindset, your mindset in yeah. life. And I have a lot of friends just freaking out right now with the election. I had a couple of cancellations this morning. They're like, I can't handle it. I'm just so stressed out with this election. And I said to them, I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters right. whether it's one side or the other. What really matters is this country is split down the middle. It's almost like we we are in two different camps and we're not listening to one another. Right. And I I think what the country needs at this point is to get to the United States of America where we're united because right now we are one side or the other. And if it's not this side, then you're wrong. And you said you were going to go, did you say you, did I hear you correctly, Daniel, say that you was going to get a gun? I am going to go get a gun, not because (laughs) I'm afraid of for myself. I'm going to go get a gun because you know, like, I, I want to understand, I want to walk in the shoes of the person across from me, right? And I think there are a lot of, you know, gun rights is, is a big issue, and it's all or nothing. And I think I, I can't be an anti-gunner person without truly understanding what it's all about. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, it's interesting, the, what you said about a gun. 
as a, as a black man in America, owning a gun can get you killed, mm. you know, very quickly. Mm. Heck, brandishing or showing that you are in possession of a knife mm. if police is in vicinity can get you killed. Well, here, here's the whole thing. I guess I, I look at it like I'm not running to get a gun or worried about having guns in my house unless I'm prepared to use a gun. I am so against racism, white supremacy, and the rest of that. However, I am not prepared to take somebody's life because they're having a dumb moment or I'm having a dumb moment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the gun is kind of like a hand grenade. You don't, you know, you don't pull it out unless you're going to use it. So, I mean, I, I hear you as far as, you know, trying to get like some intrinsic value of, so what is this NRA and the rest of this, you know, don't tread on me or take my arms away. What is that about? But, you know, at the same time, it's like, Daniel, are you prepared to take somebody's life? Absolutely you know, not. Behind not owning prepared. a gun. So, look, 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 great opportunity here. Get it. Now, yep. so this is just an example of my style of the DEI as far as you give people real life scenarios that they can step into them boots not shoes, but boots and walk through the BS for a little bit and then kind of figure out if that's what, where they really want to be. Okay, here's the spot. This is the one where I got schooled by Dietrich. And I think I had gone in guns a-blazing, no pun intended, but uh, coming in hot and just full of my emotions and not really thinking about what I was saying. This is a good example of when you come in without thinking and you just react. And I reacted. I said, hey, I want to go get a gun. And Dietrich points out that, yeah, I get the intent, but a gun will get you killed if you're black. And, you know, I never realized that. I never realized how something in action like that has such an impact. This was a learning moment. Take this as a learning moment. This is the kind of things that you will experience when you work with someone like Dietrich, when you go down this journey, diversity, equity, inclusion. It's going to be hard. You're going to make mistakes. And oh boy, you're going to get called out like this. And I wanted to make it public so that you can see what it's like to learn in public. So I want to learn a little bit more. Tell me a little bit more about this recent role that you're getting, the Calling All Allies Project. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's a Calling All Allies Project, and they are a group that does diversity training, diversity, equality, and inclusion training and initiatives and set up programs. So like basically if you, you know, an organization can contact them and holler at them about we need to correct and get on track or path to being where we would like to be and representative of what we say that we're about. And then this organization is a great place that helps them get there. I will be available to go out and assist companies that they might be looking for a diversity organization. So now I'm part of a diversity organization. But at the same time, it still allows me the liberty to do my own thing as far as as a independent consultant for myself, for smaller gigs, but I can still go out and make an impact on their team as they help organizations that's ready to pay 
you know, it costs to be the boss. That's a saying, a motto of mine. It costs to be the boss. So for the organizations that's prepared to pay that cost, Calling All Allies Project is here to help people get where they need to be with the diversity, close those gaps, and just make sure that, you know, they're operating and presenting themselves the way that they say they are and that they want to be. I am about really just equality and, you know, diversity, it changes from time to time. Sometimes it's a focus on diversity and sometimes it's not. But at the end of the day, I think that everybody wants to be treated fairly and equitably and would like to just see the rules apply consistently across the board. And and you got some really amazing life experiences. And I think you bring in a lot of pragmatic, practical experience beyond just HR. And so when you're yeah. talking about, let's call up Dietrich, I got a problem. Uh, you're a problem solver. You, you figure things out. Yeah. What's yes. your background? Okay. Well, let's see. I'm the oldest of six children. So I'm kind of like a natural born leader. I'm left-handed. Most things I got to kind of reverse engineer to be able to do it. And then from there is how can I do it better? And I ended up in business. Always kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit. Have always been like a go-to guy. I didn't realize it when it was occurring, but I've always been like a business-minded go-to guy for people that's trying to start something, that's trying to launch something, that's trying to take something to the next level. So got my MBA. And as I was coming close to it, it was like, it was like, well, you know, eh, I'm thinking maybe doing something else. It's like, well, you know what, you can do this and this, and then you can just get a dual degree. And, you know, over the course of it, I learned and discovered and experienced and was exposed to so many different management styles, tactics, and practices on top of the processes. Every different job is a different process. So I it kind of coined myself as like this process guru because one, I'm left-handed and most people are right-handed. So when it came to manufacturing, everything is a right-hand flow. So I got to kind of reverse engineer that. And it was just like, man, you know, I had, I used to think it was kind of bad. It was like, well, man, you know, I thought this was an opportunity and I didn't like it, or I thought this was an opportunity and it really wasn't. So the continuous improvement that's in my description on LinkedIn is a, like a continuous improvement quality ninja, because Everything is continuous improvement for me because that's what my school, every opportunity that I got, it was like, okay, let me learn what I'm supposed to do and let me see what I can do to make this position better. A broken part work and continued production, as opposed to since we down anyway, replace it with the replacement part that that's what it was purpose for. And then we don't got to worry about being down. So I got my own theories about, you know, some of those scenarios. Because at the end of the day, what I found out in the course of my many experiences is that a lot of times situations where it's like, well, it's broke, but they won't fix it. They just keep putting duct tape on it. Well, in duct tape and band-aids, there's job security. So, you know, is as above, so below, you know, interesting thing. Oftentimes, I think in, people in positions of leadership, they don't empower the people under them because they're afraid that if they empower these people, then they're going to lose power. You don't lose power by empowering somebody. You create other opportunities for innovation, growth, and all that. You know, you allow somebody to step into their greatness if you empower them in a situation where they've been constricted. So it's a, it's a very fixed mindset. It's a zero sum game, right? If if you win, then I lose, and it's and it. We're in the middle of this transition period where 
as we're trying to get better, it requires us to be more like the latter, right? Being able to empower people, like you said. Yeah. The more power that we get to people, the more ability that we get people to grow, the more innovation is going to happen. And and we need more of that. I think the, the, this country needs more of that. The people need more of that. And that's holding us back. Yeah. What are people, what's the fear? Is it fear that I'm going to lose my power, fear that I'm going to lose my job? All of that is just fear of position. It's like right now I'm in a place of position. Right now my position, there's a certain power and privilege that comes with it. If I share or if I enlighten somebody or if I let somebody in, then this this person might be the next Michael Jordan because we still in business. We still profitable, you know, as opposed to if I pass the ball, because that's kind of what we got going on is, there is this resistance to pass the ball because passing the ball means sharing. And for some reason, a lot of people, particularly people in positions of power, feel that if they share, then that means that they're either going to be slighted or cut off. And it's like, you do not lose power by empowering somebody. You create other opportunities. And one of the biggest things is innovation. And I just look at it as on a job security tip. Why would I, why would I hook you up or look out for you or, you know, bring you along or lift you up if it's going to put my position in threat or in jeopardy, you know? And I I think that's really kind of what it is, is the people, the, the main people that are resistant to the change is the main people that see themselves as I got the most to lose. Because if we turn around and we allow all these people in, or we allow all these people access or we allow these people, whatever it is, then somehow in doing that, then I'm going to be kicked to the curb or I'm going to be out of here. And I think that the people that got the biggest fear is the people that is really not doing what they're supposed to be doing anyway. And that's just, you know, one of the things that I kind of picked up in manufacturing environments is that instead of just fixing it, solving it, embrace the change, and move forward. It's so. that unique intersection with your background in manufacturing quality, HR, and now kind of bringing in this uh, DEI lens as well. I think it's it's a very unique intersection, and you're passionate yeah. about it. And it comes across yeah, clearly yeah, that yeah. way. It's it's that passion too. But as humans, I will give you the same courtesy and respect that I would expect because people's differences is what make the world go round. You know, if everybody was the same, it would be horrible. Nobody is the same, even if you think that you got this much and that much in common with the next person, whether it's your significant other, spouse, whatever. Unless y'all is identical twins from birth, that's the closest you can come to being the same as somebody else. Other than that, everybody is a unique individual. And I think sometimes between social media and peer pressure or whatever, that we forget that there is a serious value and merit in being an individual and not losing yourself and trying to fit in and just be who you were created to be. And, you know, a lot of times we lose focus on that because there's so many distractions that lead us to other places. But, you know, at the end of the day, I have learned one of the best things I can do for me and for those that I impact is be true to my individualism, you know, to, to who I am, my uniqueness. I don't have to fit in. I love it because I, I think we're all unique individuals. We're all unique snowflakes. Yeah. I, I want to go back a little bit earlier. You, I had mentioned that I want to walk in the shoes of someone else and you said boots. Right. Tell me a little bit more about that. What, what, were you, yeah. what did you mean yeah. by that? 
Yeah, well, you know, because shoes, flip-flops can be shoes, Nike slides can be shoes, but boots, boots is a little heavier than all that. And sometimes to follow the path or the footsteps of somebody else is not something you can do in flip-flops. It's not, you know, you don't know what the water, what the mud, what the, the muck, the BS, you don't know what you stand going to be standing in and trying to follow this person's path because that's kind of the art of it is making it look easy. But it's, it's, it's not weightlifting. You know, you working out. I, I can remember at one point I was, I used to be in a working out and I could, you know, 100 pound dumbbell bell in each hand. And a guy asked me one time, well, man, you make it look so easy. I, I said, well, that's the art of it. You know, how does it feel to be in a 100 pound club? Well, you know, that's the art of it is making it look easy. You don't know my struggle. I just make it look easy. I'm not making a lot of noise. I'm just doing it. So uh, as far as like walking in them boots, yeah, it's got to be boots because you will hope that it's a cakewalk. But I mean, honestly, when you think about it, the average person, if you was to walk in their shoes, particularly if they are being productive and thriving and trying to be successful, you can't do that in the slides. You can't do that in a pair of boat or deck shoes. You might you're going to need some boots because you're going to need to dig in and you know, you got to make sure you got traction. You got to make sure if it's rattlesnakes that you don't get bit in the ankles. If you got on flip-flops, you can get bit in the ankle by a snake, but not with boots. That was the art of it. They made it look easy. You don't know what they really went through to get there, you know, on that path. However, be prepared because you don't know what they went through. And, you know, sometimes the only thing that people show you is the best part of it or the fun part or the, you know, making it rain and uh, popping the doors and popping bottles and well what did that person do to get there so they might have started out with you the same place that you're at and this is where they at now but what did they do you don't know every once in a while somebody will really share and give insight into what it took to accomplish what they accomplished but for the most part you know people just kind of play it like oh well you know and it's the, that's the art of it is i make it look easy but I'm not going to really reveal or share with you. How do I put on those boots? And it's this metaphor right now, but how do we get people and myself like as well, like I'm as privileged as well. How do I walk into boots of another person, right? Especially as you're doing work around diversity, equity, inclusion. We're talking about groups that are oppressed. We're talking about groups that have been historically underrepresented. How do you get the majority to walk in those boots and really truly understand the experience. Well, that is that is challenging. I would think that the best or most you could hope for is to maybe present them with a situation or a scenario where they can relate to. Because sometimes you can explain something to somebody or try to share something with somebody and it's you cannot figure out how can how can I really get you to get this? So I think from the person that's on the receiving end that's trying to relate or experience is that the number one thing that you can do is be one, open-minded. Two is listen. And in listening, as you hear things that you might not agree with or you don't understand or you can't compute, you got to go back to rule number one, which is be open minded, because just because it's not your experience and you can't relate to it 
does not mean it is not real and is taking place for so many other people. And I think that just really as a as a as a as a coast to coast community, I'm not going to say country, I'll say community, you know, as a coast to coast community, the best thing that we can do and trying to all be on the same page about, you know, being positive, making an impact and making sure that we are not being offensive or doing this or that or whatever it is to people that is hurtful or harmful is one, be open-minded. Two, listen. And when you feel the urge to step in and say, well, you know, you should, whenever you feel the urge, the strong urge to speak up in response to what somebody is sharing with you, shut up. That's when you don't say nothing. And then you continue to listen. And what I found that if you can walk somebody down the path of an analogy and then you save for the end of it, explain it. And well, this part of the analogy really was this. This is really this. This is really this. So if you you we we in agreement on this, this was jacked up or this was all right. Well, this was this. This was this. This was this. There's no way to go back two years where we wasn't talking about this. There's no way to go back two years ago to where we wasn't focused on this. This is where we at. Period. Moving forward. So, you know, hopefully people can that really need this or don't understand it can just listen with an open mind. I mean, and you know, it's interesting. The last time we had talked, I had we got to talking about the black experience as a black male. And, you know, I had touched on a couple of things. And then I, and, and since we talked, I kind of thought about like, well, how could I, and it's like, well, I guess the best way I could explain it is this, is that depending on the type of person I'm trying to be is what I dwell on, you know? So if I constantly dwell on every time I turn on the news or look at the TV, this is going on and whether killing unarmed black men in the streets, I mean, I could stay depressed. I could stay in anxiety. I could stay scared. I could stay so many things, but then what quality of life would I have? You got to live. Everybody got to live. And that's what you got to remember in trying to, empathize and just, you know, feel where somebody's at. Just know this much, as much as you want to live, as much as you love breathing and drinking water and your heart beating, so does the next person, period. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes I think that, you know, we get caught up on, well, this is happening. This is happening. Woe is me. Well, that may be true. But if you can't immediately change that or impact that or cause that to stop, so what you're going to do, just sit here and hang out in limbo as this is happening while the rest of the world is just enjoying life. As we're closing out, how can people find you if they want to engage and work with you and DEI? And, and it sounds like you have a number. You're just the go-to person. Yeah. Calling All Allies Project. I am a DEI advisor with them. I can also be reached on LinkedIn under uh, Dietrich Franklin MBA. Send me a message. Connect with me. And, you know, through the course of it, like I said, I want it to be fun, enjoyable and impactful. And I would just hope that. Whether I'm working with an organization or individual that, you know, 
I, I help you achieve the goals and the results that you want. Dietrich, it's incredibly easy to talk to you. And I think that's probably why you're so effective because you are just so relatable, human connect. It's easy just to connect. And I, I think I can definitely see how you're going to be awesome. Hey, I really appreciate you coming on to the show. And it's a great kickoff to this next season on the theme of racism, inequality in America. So first off, I want to just thank Dietrich for joining me in this start of season two. He's pretty new to this, and this is my second season, but it's still pretty new for me. And I'm editing this myself, so apologies if it's not perfect. But I really enjoyed and learned a lot from Dietrich, and I hope you did too. This is the type of journey and experience you'll have when you work with someone in this space. And Dietrich's an amazing guy. And you'll notice in the middle of this, I I learned something and I got schooled on it. And I think this is what it's all about. It's just learning and growing together. And there are amazing people like him out there. So take the time, learn. I mean, don't get frozen up in how hard this is. You just got to take a step at a time. Wear them boots, says Dietrich. It's going to get messy and dirty, but we got to go forward. We got to keep moving forward. And thank you all for listening. This is an incredibly long episode for my uh, podcast, but I'm going to keep this going. I'm going to keep this path going forward for a while. We're going to stick around on the subject and we're going to learn. We'll see you in the next one.